Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their All right. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, third Saturday in October time. Still try to get excited about it time you never know what could happen time might take a miracle but miracles happen sometimes time whatever time of day it is boys and girls it's the right time for the go balls 24 7 podcast west rucker coming to you from fort rucker studio here recording this on a wednesday afternoon probably going to drop this podcast on wednesday evening so wherever you are whatever you're doing Thanks for spending part of your day with us. If you're listening to this immediately, hope your Wednesday evening is going great. And if it's not been going great, uh, maybe your Thursday will go better. I want to be optimistic. Do you like the sound of that optimism? Let's be optimistic. You know, let's let's try it. Let's see what happens. Guys, this is going to be a really short intro because we're going to spend most of this episode talking with uh, one of my favorite people uh, in our in the twenty four seven sports network. I know you've probably heard me say this several times uh, about when, when we bring coworkers in here, but uh, just so happens the past couple weeks uh, we had Jake Rowe on from the Georgia side, Dogs twenty four seven, or I'm sorry, Rusty Manzel uh, from Dogs twenty four seven. It was Jake last year, Rusty this year. Love those guys. Also, really like this guy. We're going to be spending this podcast uh, talking to another one of my favorite guys in the network, Travis Ryer. Uh, from Bama Online. He's covered Alabama, I believe, for BOL since 2003 or so. And uh, just a guy who is a good dude. He really knows ball, can talk ball all day long. Uh, he knows good, fall, good football when he sees it, bad football when he sees it. And he'll tell you uh, exactly what he thinks. Uh, and he's an entertaining guy, too. Also hosts a radio show every day down there in Tuscaloosa. And I think I'll be joining his... Uh, joining his show, I think, Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon there in Tuscaloosa. So that's going to be uh, fun. But right now, this conversation that you're about to hear also uh, was fun. Uh, we sat down uh, with Travis just probably, oh, just a little bit, maybe an hour or so ago. Talked about Tennessee, talked about Alabama, talked about some SEC stuff, talked about the history uh, of some things, uh, where where the Tennessee-Alabama rivalry is, where the third Saturday in October is in terms of uh, significance, uh, what Tennessee possibly can do uh, to make this a good football game. Uh, does Tennessee need to get lucky, or are there some areas where, you know, tangibly Tennessee can can deliver some genuine punishment to Alabama? Are there any advantages 
uh, matchup advantages where they feel like they can expose. Uh, Travis talked a lot about the, the strengths of Alabama, and there are many of those. Also talked about a couple of the holes that he sees on this Alabama team that maybe he didn't see uh, in previous years. So no team is perfect. There's no perfect game. There's no perfect team. Uh, every team has some holes, and this Alabama team is not playing defense quite as well as it has for much of the Saban era, despite having one of the best corners in college football uh, and one of the best inside linebackers in college football, certainly a big physical front seven, lots of athletes there uh, on the back end. So uh, lots of interesting things that came out of this conversation. And so I'm going to step out of the way now, and we're going to get to it. Here is uh, the first part of my conversation with our good friend, Travis Ryer. Joined now by our good friend Travis Fryer from Bama Online. I'm not just saying this because he's here. One of my one of my favorite people in our network. Travis, what's going on, my man? What's up, Wes? Um, any off season moves for the Cubs that we're anticipating at this point? Uh, are you having some World Series envy as, as we get into this this different? Uh, October fall classic. Yeah, basically, you know, the, the way that the, that the Tennessee football team has played offense the past six quarters uh, reminds me <laughs> a lot of the Cubs offense uh, during the 2020 regular season. So, yeah. Relatable. I mean, yeah. Just, that's, just, that's, that's just an embarrassingly low uh, batting average, you know. But, but here we are sitting here. It's Wednesday. I was recording this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, in the background here on the TV screen here in front of me, uh, Shakhtar has just shocked Real Madrid in the Champions League 3-2 to two with a win at Madrid. And so uh, if that can happen, uh, maybe Tennessee football fans uh, can live to dream that possibly Saturday afternoon when the mighty Crimson Tide roll into town for the third Saturday in October, that things could could be like that. I got to be honest, Travis, I, I don't know that that is uh, – pl- possible maybe it's possible i don't consider it likely certainly just just what's before we get into the nitty-gritty what's your kind of general take on this game because i just don't see how tennessee can score points enough to 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 beat this alabama team the way i see it on wednesday anyway and still not totally sure i guess exactly what tennessee's quarterback situation is going to be and and i'm not sure that even matters because regardless of who tennessee runs out there to me this has to be a game in which Tennessee's offensive line and the run game validates itself at the midway point of the season. This has got to be that offensive line. And this isn't, by the way, that Alabama front seven that a lot of us have grown accustomed to over the last decade plus. This is a group that, as Ole Miss showed you, you can run the football against this team. So if this is really, you know, this is, this is that moment for for the Tennessee offensive line so much that we heard about it um you know and, and that part of the off if Tennessee's gonna Tennessee will be as competitive in this game in my opinion Wes as that offensive line and that running game allows it to be yeah when I look at you know that offensive line certainly there are scouts who really like a lot of those guys so it's not just like they were rated highly uh, coming out of high school and now they're just not good players there's a lot of prospects or or a lot of scouts out there who still really like these guys as prospects and and that Georgia defense you know Alabama ran on it but most people don't and Tennessee ran for minus one yard in that game and and that was a just colossal disappointment and you talk about validation you know that was the opposite of validation for that group And, and pass protection from that bunch 
uh, has been uh, maybe non-existent is a harsh word, but I don't know that you can put a polite way. I don't think there's a polite way to describe the way the offensive tackles have performed in pass protection. It, it has not been pretty. And, you know, what I keep thinking about, Travis, going into this game is that, you know, when you see this Bama team averaging, what, 48, 49 points a game, it, it's dropped 40 on Tennessee, an average of that the past four or four or five years. You know, it, it's been – this this team is going to score points. The, this early era Saban kind of ground and pound and, and the, the Bama boa constrictor, as I used to call it, they just kind of decapitate you now. They go right at you. And so you, you think about sort of the traditional way would be to say, well, Tennessee's got to run the ball – Tennessee's got to chew clock, keep that offense off the field. But I keep thinking, I don't know of any way possible that they can score that many points if they play that way. And Bama's going to score in this game. Bama's going to score, I think, 40, 45 points. So if you're Tennessee, can you really go into it thinking, try to shorten the game, or do you have to just say, screw it and try to score points? Uh, I, I, you know, I, I'm talking in terms of maintaining contact with Alabama and maintaining competitiveness mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah, to win the game, you're going to have to get some borderline heroic play from the quarterback position. I don't think it has to necessarily be a 300-plus yard performance, but when that opportunity is there and when those third downs present themselves, you've got to convert on them. And, of course, first and foremost, you got to take care of the football something that Guarantano just hasn't been able to do, especially the last couple of weeks, the best I can tell. So, no, you can, to an extent, be competitive with that part of the Tennessee offense. But to get over the hump, whether it's Guarantano, whether it's Shrout, whether it's Harrison Bailey, um, you're going to need some guys uh, on the outside at the receiver positions to, to make some plays. You know, Josh Palmer, watching that Georgia game, couple of explosive plays yeah, he's for a touchdowns. He's, he's a pro, and, yeah. And so he's going to have to be that on Saturday when, when they need it. And, you know, Brandon Johnson's going to have to convert some third downs. When you use Vilas Jones and some situational things, uh, jet sweeps and what he's able to do in the return game, he's probably going to have to produce something there. It, it's going to take a little of something from, from, you know, both aspects of that offense and then even perhaps – in the kicking game, because last week against Georgia, Alabama, I know, right? This is like the lady with two hams, yeah. one under each arm, and complaining about not having bread. Oh, well, sure, but, but I mean, you, you know, <laughs> but you, you want they to... didn't cover kickoffs well, so that that's an opportunity maybe for for Tennessee there. Well, I, I would counter that by saying that's a fair point, but but you don't win as many games as as Saban and Bama have won. You don't win that many championships without saying really good is not good enough. You know, I mean, they, they can find people, yeah. people all the time criticize Saban for winning by 30 points and, you know, being upset about some things. Well, you know what, it, it, who, no matter who you are or what you're doing, it, life is a quest to be as good as you can be at it. And they, that's what makes him who he is. I think is that he right. wants, you know, he's like football. It, it's, it's like a six, it's a 60 minute or sometimes more than that, football game. There's 11 guys for your team on the field at a time, 22 guys on the field at a time. There's a couple hundred plays sometimes. You're, you're not you're – ne- there is no perfect game in football. It's never existed. But Saban's quest to find the perfect game has sort of always – you know, it's always left a mark on me because that that's what makes guys like that who they are is that there is no detail that they don't care about. And I just – that to me, I mean, is he really every bit – 
you know, as someone who deals with them certainly more than, than I do, certainly more than our listeners to this podcast do, how much is he just sort of, I don't, maybe obsessed isn't the right word, but just really driven by that quest to just be perfect? Well, I mean, think about the great coaches out there. It seems like the common denominator is that they're all borderline maniacal mm-hmm. when it comes to that quest. And I think a lot of times it's not as much about the scoreboard as we think it is. I mean, obviously, that's the ultimate decider, the determination of who wins and who loses. But it's a standard that he's trying to achieve, not just on Saturdays, but on a daily basis in every aspect of the program, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's coaches out there that have that sort of drive and that determination as far as the season itself goes or preparing their roster that way. But then maybe on the recruiting trail, they're not driven. In that in that sort of way. Well, Nick Saban, when it comes to every aspect of what a program is about, building it, personnel, player development, I haven't been able to notice a discernible drop off in any of those areas. And as he gets older, he'll turn 69 in a couple of Saturdays. You keep looking for maybe that that chink. And I think going into that Georgia game last week, the the, the hounds were out a little bit kind of Mm -hmm. thinking this might be the spot and Kirby might not just win the game, might win the game by a a fairly decided margin. And so, and so there were people sort of on alert. I was, I was interested to see how this Alabama team, especially after the defensive performance in Oxford would respond to it. But in some similar fashions that we've seen in the past with Saban, you know, after hearing about all these perceived weaknesses and some of them are real, to be, to, to be honest, but, uh, you know, styles make fights, um, matchups and mindsets change on a weekly basis in Georgia, in terms of personnel and its scheme actually for Alabama's defense matched up better, uh, from that perspective. And, you know, I think Tennessee's kind of the same way this week in terms of carryover, getting ready for Georgia, getting ready for Tennessee, just personnel and schematics. Uh, I, I think I think that's a part of it for Alabama this week that that should go pretty smoothly. Yeah, and you know it's interesting because we were talking about sort of that, you know that that quest for perfection, that maniacal drive that that they just looking at the little nitty gritty details and everything. And and the flip side of that would be, you know, when you had Jeremy Pruitt up there on Monday trying to dissect that just debacle against Kentucky. Some people thought it maybe sounded a little tone deaf, and on the surface, maybe I think it does sound that way, but when he's sitting there talking about how on a greater percentage of plays his team did what he wanted it to do, that's the flip side of that is that that you can have games where – you know, you do almost nothing right, but when you do it right, you do it really right, and you get some breaks and you win the game, but a coach is saying, you know what, I'm proud of the guys, but we just didn't play well at all. And the flip side of that is you get a game where just from a pure execution standpoint, meeting your assignments, you probably even get a little higher grade than you did the game before, but you make none of the plays that matter, and when you mess up, you it's colossal. It's a pick six. It's a turnover deep in your own territory. You know, it, it's missing – uh, just guys that just should not be missed in protection. And so your overall grade might be a tiny bit higher, but but the performance was overall was worse. So that's why I think it's interesting because coaches live in their own worlds and, and they say these things and people go, what what the hell are they talking about? But I think when you look at the little, the little nitty-gritty details the way they do, that's how their brains operate. You know, it seems like it's not like they ignore the big picture, but they just think of all these they, – they, they think of it as a million parts moving all the time. 
Yeah, and Jeremy's still thinking in terms of culture foundation. You know, it may be three, it may be year three there for him, but what he sees on a daily basis tells him he's still got work to do just at the foundational level. I know there was the win streak to end last season, and it really got going right after the loss here in Tuscaloosa. Mm-hmm. Uh, finished the season really strong, won the bowl game in Jacksonville, started the season promising enough, had the tough loss at Georgia. But I think last week, I'm sure from a fan base perspective, that was, in their opinion, their minds, a red flag. It probably didn't surprise Jeremy all that much, though, in terms of where he's still trying to take this program. And and I can I can see Jeremy saying that about assignments and execution. And uh, because watching that game back against Kentucky, uh, it, it, it really it really came down to two or three catastrophic plays. And that, as you outlined, and that allowed. And this is still this is still not an offense that's built in a way that can overcome that. You know, Alabama yeah. against Auburn, right, in the Iron Bowl last season. Mac Jones throws two pick sixes, but when you got the options and the weapons they've got, they're still able to score. You know, 38, 45 points. Tennessee's not to that point yet, I guess. Yep, and and, and that you know the most the, the most catastrophic thing about that start was that allowed to Kentucky to play the game in the only way Kentucky could play mm-hmm. it and win. Uh, because if you get up by two scores on Kentucky and you make Terry Wilson throw the ball and you make them, you yeah. know, because Kentucky will throw the ball when it has to because of it the score. It will punt the ball before the, it will throw the yeah, ball. Put it, it that way. Yeah, Kentucky, <laughs> Kentucky basically will punt. I think there were like three, three reasons Kentucky will throw it. One, the score or the time dictates they have to. Uh, two, they, they, you kind of you crowd up the box, you give them a good one-on-one matchup, and they play action you and, and kind of change of pace right. you. Because they did that a couple times. When they got up by, by a couple scores, they could spread the field but still kind of wham you there with a couple of those backs and then just get one matchup because Tennessee's pass coverage over the middle has been terrible and get a good matchup and just flick it out there for 10, 15, 20 yards. And, and that's that's how Kentucky could play the game. Tennessee let Kentucky dictate that game because of those two horrible, horrible decisions by Garantano. And that's why going forward for Tennessee, I don't know how they figure that out because, you know, I think the fallout from this Kentucky game in a way almost feels worse than that Georgia State game because it happened later in the tenure. It happened when you thought things had been turned around, you know, or were heading in the right direction. And this is just kind of a reality gut punch that uh, the city and the state is not reacting well to right now. Um, I can I can imagine, and again, my my curiosity for that game was okay. Tennessee actually competed really well with Georgia for pretty much three quarters plus in Athens. It kind of mm-hmm. fell apart there in the fourth quarter. Um, but now is Tennessee to a point under Jeremy where it can pick itself back up? In other words, covering Alabama in this run under Saban. Time and time again, I've seen it. Alabama beats a team on Saturday, and then that same team goes out the next week and loses again. And that's kind of where George is at in terms of having that effect on teams. And I don't really think that was as much the case because it didn't seem as much of a physical issue for Tennessee as it was the mistakes that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you, you tell me, I mean, I'm guessing people who cover Tennessee, people who passionately follow Tennessee probably figured they had moved on from that point. That was more of a year two expectation than maybe a year three. Absolutely was. And, 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 you know, it, it reminds me 
you know, when Saban was at LSU, I remember doing a story years ago when I worked for the Chattanooga newspaper talking about how the the record that teams had and the way they were against the spread the week after playing Saban's LSU teams uh, was not good um, because yeah. they just had been physically and emotionally kind of drained. And and that can – Georgia's talented enough now to do that to you. And, and that's – I said going into the season that that Kentucky game should scare the hell out of everybody because it was right there in between Georgia and Bama. And that's a team that if you show up and play Kentucky and you play them honest and you play them pretty well, you're going to beat them. But if you don't, they're very, very capable of beating you because Stoops has made them more physical and mentally tough. And, you know, they'll still Kentucky it up, but not as much as they used to. And that 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 was a concern. But then you looked at where Tennessee was, and I think the way that Georgia game ended, I thought, well, that's going to that's gonna irritate them. That's going to make them mad. They're going to go out there and take care of Kentucky the next week reasonably well and, and then it just kind of fell apart and it fell apart for the same reason the Georgia game did because of turnovers that were just they kill momentum they they flip the field um, and that's just you know you can't it's so simple right don't turn it over you give yourself a chance and and if Tennessee is as loose with the ball in this game as it has been for the past six quarters you're going to be looking at a Clemson Georgia Tech score in this game. It very, very easily could happen. Wow. I think if, ten- yeah, if, if, if Tennessee's I, that I, loose with the ball, with the way Alabama yeah. scores. Well, even Georgia found out last Saturday night, if Alabama's plus two in turnover margin and their big four skill guys on offense have games like they had against a team like Georgia – you know, then you have the end result that you had, especially there in the second half of that game. But, you know, that makes me wonder, too, with this sort of, um, you know, intrigue about the the quarterback position for Saturday. I'm, I'm guessing that's where it just really all starts at this point for Jeremy. Who can I kind of just depend on yep. to take care of the ball, first and foremost? Because you in, in a perfect world or even a decent world, you would like to think a fifth-year senior with like, what, 40 games or whatever it is, a starting experience guy. He's been Tennessee's quarterback since, you know, like the – like since blimps were like there and planes weren't, I mean, he's been there forever. Right. I, I mean, and, and it's, it, it's, you would think that a guy like that would, could manage a game, right? Like we saw some, some Bama quarterbacks do early in Saban's tenure, just kind of keep the thing on the tracks. Don't make a big mistake. Let the defense make some plays for you, run the ball, get out of there with a win. And and the fifth year senior now is still trying to, when he's got five guys running a route, he somehow finds the double-covered guy and throws it there. When it's a third and four, he throws the ball 50 yards or 45 yards in the air across the field on an out route trying to pick up the first down and move the chains on a third and four. Uh, he mm-hmm. is staring down his primary receiver. You know, he is not having a good internal clock in the pocket. He, he's not he's not doing things that you need a game manager to do. And And at that point, you go – well, what's the worst case scenario, right? Two pick sixes in three minutes? Well, they just did that. So, you know, now the question becomes, you know, if you think Harrison Bailey, and I think Salter, when he gets there, will help things with his his athleticism. But if you think Bailey's a guy for the future, do you throw him out there against Bama and, and let him take a whooping there? Or do you wait till the bye week in the second half of the season and then get him in there? And do you try to get through this game with the three vets? I don't know. That's... I think we'll know the decision on that Saturday afternoon. It's interesting for Alabama because there is the possibility that it could see true freshman quarterbacks each of the next two Saturdays. 
could be Harrison Bailey this week and could be Will Rogers for Mississippi State uh, a week from Saturday. And life comes at you fast, doesn't it, as yeah. a quarterback these days. And these guys, we understand they showed up better prepared than they ever have before. Um, I like Tennessee's situation right now better than Mississippi State's for the reasons we talked about earlier. If I put him out there, I'm putting him out there with probably just about the best offensive line situation I, I could. I know what you said about protection and watching Tennessee. I, I agree. The tackles uh, have been an issue. That being said, this isn't an Alabama team with Terrell Lewis and Anthony Jennings on the edges like there was a year ago. So you might be able to protect him better. You can run the football. You can put him in some better situations. As a rule, no. Alabama, I wouldn't say is, okay, let's drop a true freshman in here. But with this Alabama team and what Tennessee has in terms of how it matches up, there, there are worse scenarios, I think, that you could do this. That was the first half of the conversation that I had with Bama Online's Travis Ryer talking Tennessee-Alabama football the third Saturday in October, getting kicked back up on Saturday, 3.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS. Uh, Tons of other good stuff from this interview with Travis, but before we do that, we're going to step away for just a second, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, and other fun things, and then we'll be right back here on the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Welcome back to the Go Balls 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products and services and in-house ads you just heard a second ago. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a Wednesday afternoon as we're recording this, probably a Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday evening, early Wednesday evening when you're first going to hear this. Uh, but uh, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, hope you're well. Glad you're spending part of your time with us here on the Govals 24-7 podcast. Going to get to the second part of my interview uh, with our conversation, I should say. I'm not interviewing him. My conversation uh, with Travis Ryer from Bama Online, talking Tennessee, Alabama. Lots of good stuff there. Uh, before we do that, though, I'm just going to remind everybody, please go take a second and uh, hit the subscribe button on this podcast. Please rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening, wherever you can cast a fine pod, whether that is 
Apple Podcast, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever, wherever you can cast a fine pod, you can find the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We do this for free, and we're happy to do it. It's a labor of love. One thing we're going to ask, please go in there and rate and review and subscribe to this podcast. Uh, we appreciate everyone who listens, uh, but we really, really appreciate when people go do those couple of things. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything uh, but a couple minutes, and uh, it helps us out a lot. helps us grow the wolf pack. If there's things that you like about this podcast, let us know. If there's things you want to see improve, let us know that. Some people just hate my voice. There's nothing I can really do about that. I, I apologize. But uh, other things about this podcast, uh, we could tweak if needed. So uh, please let us know what you think. Uh, please uh, drop in some questions. If you have a discussion that you want us to have on this podcast, drop it in there. If we do some merch giveaways and things like that later, we also could, could base it uh, based off of uh, some things that we see there. So please go in there and do that. That would help us out a lot. Also, right now, we got a really good deal going this week. Uh, if you go to GoVols247.com, which is, you know, as we all know, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets to talk anything Tennessee sports-related, uh, you can get your first two months for $1. I don't want to just say that at the end. I want to say it now, too. Two months for $1. So go check that out. And even if you pay us full price later on, guys, less than the price of one mediocre lunch a month. So please rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. Please uh, give GoVols247.com a shot. And now that I've got that out of the way, let's get right back to it. Here is the second part uh, of my conversation from earlier today with Bama Online's Travis Ryer. When you look at it, this Alabama defense, you, you can see on the surface or just look at the numbers and go, well, that doesn't look like a Saban defense. Something's off. And, and then that, that leads you to wonder. It led me to wonder a couple things. One, how much of that is impacted by the offense just being so electrifying and putting so many points on the board so quickly. And second, is it are things really that bad and or mediocre in terms of, of – of, skill on that defense because I still see one of the best cornerbacks in college football in, in Sertan. I, I still see Dylan Moses being one of the best linebackers in college football. I still see some big physical guys up front. I see a solid, at least one solid safety on the back end. I, the pieces are there, aren't they? What's causing some of this? Is it a combination of things, I, I imagine? What's, why, is, why are these numbers where they are? Well, they, they have some star power. There's no doubt about that. You said it, Patrick Sertan the second. Um, you're able to put him on a guy like George Pickens last week. Maybe he sees uh, a good bit of, of Josh Palmer this week. Um, regardless, he's capable of locking someone down. They love to play man coverage, as we know. The Saban and Saban disciples, they're, mm -hmm. they're wired that way. Yep. And so, yeah, you feel good on the outside between Sertan and also Josh Job has really stepped up his game at the other corner mm -hmm. this year. So you're good there. You, you got a true freshman at that star position, uh, the nickel, which is the same as what Tennessee uses there. Uh, in Malachi Moore, he's had a couple of games, Georgia, Texas A&M, where you really feel like he's a star in the making. Uh, but right in the middle of the field, it's been a problem. The safety positions – uh, have been up and down. First and foremost, they've struggled to tackle. You know, and for Dylan Moses, he's still coming off a knee injury, and he's also taking over at the Mike linebacker position this year, so that he's got all those responsibilities on him. And so, you know, there's times where you wish for him he could still be at the weak side and kind of be the playmaker there at that position and have someone else running the show and playing the mic. Uh, but it's new to him, and he's had his struggles. He's coming off a solid game against Georgia, so that was encouraging. 
Um, Christian Harris at the weak side position. Uh, he is dynamic. He mm-hmm. is, he looks like what you've seen in the past from Alabama, Rashawn Evans, some other guys at that position, but he's gotten caught with his eyes in the wrong places at times. So, you know, I don't know exactly how prolific Eric Gray, Ty Chandler have been in Tennessee's passing game, but backs have not only hurt Alabama, uh, they've been open a good bit. There's been bust even last week against Georgia. And so I would think Jim Chaney, especially with a fragile psyche situation at quarterback, will look to get those guys going in the passing game as early as he can, maybe mix in some tight end there as well. Yeah, if Tennessee had a tight end, that would be a good thing to do. Um, but but w- 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 <laughs> they don't have a wolf. Well, w- I mean, the, yeah, they ran out. They ran. What out, happened to the wolves? They ran out of wolves or wolves, as uh, as Butch Jones wolves. called them, the the wolves. Uh, but you know, they Austin Pope's a, a solid player, but he has a back injury and he's out for yeah. maybe the whole season. And and you know, other than that, they they've had a couple of guys who just they haven't quite hit on. One's in the portal now. Uh, you know, Brown's transferring. Uh, or I'm sorry, Jackson Lowe, you know, is transferring and, 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 you know, Warren's a developmental guy who's like six, 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 seven with a huge catch radius, but getting physical enough, uh, to, to play tight end has been an issue. So Tennessee at tight end is kind of a quagmire right now, but the, with the running backs, I will be shocked. I'll eat my hat. This, this gray Puma hat that I'm wearing right now, I will eat it. If Tennessee does not have at least 10 targets for the running backs on Saturday, uh, Eric Gray's Got a huge to. part of the game. Uh, Chandler's a huge part of the game. And those guys are both good, capable receivers out of the backfield. They run good routes. They study all that Alvin Kamara tape. They, 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 they can catch the ball out of the backfield and do some things. And, and honestly, if Garantano would check down to them more instead of hoofing it downfield into coverage, they'd be in better shape right now because teams are figuring out how to defend Tennessee, which is uh, just rush for because one of them, one of the offensive tackles has a good chance of getting beat on any given play, drop everyone else back in a zone, seven guys, and make Garantano be patient because if he wants to dump the ball uh, and check down, they can have a a 12-14 play scoring drive, but he'll get impatient at some point. He'll throw it downfield and you'll have a you'll have a, a problem or there'll be a holding penalty that backs you up and then they, you get out of it that way i mean there is a way a blueprint uh, to to defending tennessee and it's not really being aggressive it's sort of the opposite of that because that's not maybe the best way to beat them because if you just go at them and, and play one on one well palmer can can beat you downfield you know they can do some mm-hmm. things but you know I, I i was just curious looking at that bama defense because i've i've watched uh, probably Oh, two and a half Bama games of this season, and I've seen highlights they struggle, of the other parts. They struggle with organic pressure, is what I call it, and that's just four man pressure. Their front, yeah, they have to get they have to get more creative than they have in the past. And so, what you'll see, and I'm not sure, maybe this is an influence of Charlie Strong being an analyst on the defensive side because Charlie could get pretty exotic with his blitzes back in the day. Uh, I, I've seen Alabama bring both safeties right up the A gap. Uh, you see the star position coming on blitzes, uh, like all Saban coached teams and their disciples, Georgia included last week. They love to bring a corner from the boundary and then rotate a safety over to cover for that. So they're, they're trying, man. They're bringing different linebackers. They're trying different personnel packages. But that's been a struggle for them just to generate a four-man rush. They did better in the second half of last week's game. And that helped them get Georgia off the field. I think Georgia was two of seven on thirds 
and also had the two interceptions in the second half. So, you know, it's gotten to the point where Nick Saban talks more in terms of stops instead of stats. He knows what the offense he's got. If they give up 400 yards plus or something like that, all he wants to know is, did we take it away? And did we get just enough stops? Yeah. Because the way this team is built, that's all it takes. Yeah. And that, that, that's a, a really nice segue into talking about this Alabama offense because, you know, I'll be honest, I did not know exactly what to expect from Mac Jones. I, I knew, I know he's got a strong arm. I know that he is a guy who is sort of, you know, tough on himself. You know, he, he he's had some some uh, some emotional issues early in his career. He's certainly a guy who, you know, kind of gets fiery at times. Um, but I didn't know what to expect. I knew the keys to the car that he had. I mean, he's driving a Lambo around. There's no question about that. But how would he handle it? You know, would, would they kind of take the cuffs off of him and let him just go crazy? Or would they try to be more kind of efficient? And I, I got to tell you, just from the outside looking in, I've been amazed at how surgical he's been. I mean, I know when you're playing with dudes, it makes it easier because those receivers are ridiculous. Harris is a great, durable, reliable running back who, you know, never fumbled the ball until once earlier this season. You know, they've got the pieces, you know, up about seven tight ends, really good offensive line. But I didn't know what to expect from Jones. What have you seen from Jones and, and how much of this sort of surgical precision from him has been surprising, if any of it? Yeah, you know, Steve Sarkeesian's been great. I think that's helped. Finally, some continuity at the offensive coordinator position. Mm -hmm. position. I mean, you kind of had that parade there from Lane. Uh, Sark worked the national championship game in January 2017. Then you were into Brian Dable. He's a one and out to the Buffalo Bills. Mike Loxley's a one and out as the coordinator anyway. He goes on to the Maryland Terrapins. And now you're into year two with Sark. And I think there's definitely some benefit to that. Also, look, if you have a guy like Tua Tonga Vailoa just on your practice field for three years and a guy like Mac Jones comes in with him, think about the standard Mac Jones is trying to just practice to on a daily basis. When you're next to that guy every day, and I think Jalen Hurts benefited from this too, because I, when Tua yeah. came in, what – Alabama and its existing roster of quarterbacks thought the passing game was about, they got a lesson just in terms of natural passing ability. Think of it like in basketball, right, Wes? I mean, you're a shooting guard on, I don't know, you're a shooting guard on the Pelicans, and sure. you're in there with J.J. Redick every day. Probably shooting around J.J. Reddick is going to help your shooting. Not that it's ever going to get it to the same level because I don't think Mac will ever be that type of passer that Tua is. But I do think there was some osmosis going on, not only with Mac, but Jalen as well. So, uh, and, and look, Mac's a competitive guy. I think intangibly, uh, he was always what you wanted him to be. Uh, but certainly physically, he had some ground to make up and, uh, you know, working in a quarterback room with Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa, that had to help, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it has to naturally, and 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 then throw into those guys that, that oh yeah, that he's throwing to. I mean, and, and, and I'll say this: I, I think it it's sort of criminal, and I, I am I am as guilty of this as anyone of of sort of you know I don't want to say ignoring, but not giving Devonte Smith his due for just how good he is. 
um, because I, I still think he's probably the best overall wide receiver on that team, one of the best in college football. Uh, but but when you watch film, Jalen Waddle is the guy who just jumps off the screen and and just smacks you right in the face. And, and I'm wondering, you know, Travis, you've had the ability, you've had the the opportunity, uh, the luxury, I guess uh, some would say, of seeing so many good athletes there in the past decade and, and so many so many great explosive players where in, in terms of just the entertainment value the explosiveness where would waddle rank on that list because that guy just looks like he is shot out of a cannon when he runs he's uh to me he's david palmer from the early 90s the deuce but he three tenths of a second faster in the 40 <laughs> you know yeah. this isn't just some smaller quick guy that can return punts you know that you put him on the on the 20 yard shuttle and he lights it up at the combine this is a guy that can run probably sub four four so that's what you're talking about and then what'll impress me the most about Jalen waddle is jump ball situations you look at him he's five nine five ten and you think well, you get him in one-on-ones down the field, he's not going to go up and win balls against six-foot corners. And he does all the time. I don't know exactly what his vertical is, Wes, but um, – He's quick I'm twitch. Guess, I mean, it's got to be. I'm, I'm going to guess dunking the basketball isn't a real problem for him at 5'10", five, 5'9". Five, but, yeah, I mean, and you know, he, he has great awareness. He's instinctive, too. I mean, how many times do we see it? You know, it's either or with a lot of these guys. They're either twitchy – beyond belief but then maybe the awareness isn't quite there they don't see things uh like you would like this guy he he's ever you know as much as we know physically he's gifted i'll tell you his his football instincts and uh you know his awareness it's it's off the charts too yeah because because there's different types of like ridiculously quick athletes there are guys like camara who you know they're so elusive but it never looks like they're going that fast. They just they his body balance, uh, his, the fluidness with which he moves. It just looks like he's kind of gliding out there and he's gliding away from people. You, you know, because he he's ridiculously quick, but it never looks like on film. It's like man, these guys are slow, but they just he knows how to. He's just quicker than they are, and he does it so effortlessly. And then you have guys like Waddle who look like an explosion has gone off. I mean, just the way that he sort of accelerates away from people yeah. i mean it really looks like a nitrous boost or something like it, it's <laughs> you know it, it's you, it's just not he is so ridiculously fun to watch and i know that bama can do so many different things with him you know steve smith uh, was an outstanding elite nfl wide receiver for years on the perimeter at five nine or so i mean yeah. you can people think that you have to be a certain size six two or bigger to play out there on the perimeter not necessarily the case you know you look at other guys they, they can do that you know we've seen the moss guys do that for years i mean you know the and by that i mean like santana not not randy you know <laughs> randy was a, randy was more of the six four variety but but you know it just i just i look at that offense and i look at the way they can spread the field but also the way that they can just wham you when they need to with harris who is really really quick for someone as big as he is and it just it looks to me like this might be it's so tough to say because Tua, those offenses were so great. But this offense almost seems to be as good, even though it, it doesn't have him. Am I am I crazy for thinking that? I think as long as they stay healthy, they can certainly challenge that in terms of the last two offenses. I mean, you're talking about a 
team that has thrown for over 400 yards in each of the last three games. Um, but I think the importance on health also is greater because instead of four of those guys at wide receiver, you got two now. Mm-hmm. Um, Mechie has come along, don't get me wrong, as the number three guy. Uh, Najee, he is without question the guy. Brian Robinson is a, a capable back. He's not a 20-carry per game back. Uh, but Najee's health is certainly critical. And I think this offensive line is at a point where it's it's already better than either of the two Tua had the previous two years uh, yeah. that he was a starter. And that's saying something because, you know, you had Jedrick Wills, you had Jonah Williams. But this is a fully matured offensive line. You know, this is something you typically don't see at Alabama these days. Three seniors on an offensive line, two of which are redshirt seniors. Like a four-leaf clover. Uh, that, does, that doesn't happen at Alabama yeah. anymore. So um, there's the benefit of that. And, um, you know, again, as long as they stay healthy with those four primary guys, uh, I, I think just about anything is, is a, obtainable for them offensively. Travis, there's only a couple more things I want to talk to you about. Lastly, I, you know, the very last thing I want to ask you about is sort of this game and and, and some things you think Tennessee's going to have to do uh, in this game. But but in terms of, I know you're a guy who also watches a lot of ball. You you have been around the game, you watch the game, and I know that you're a guy who is also when some of these assistants leave Alabama, you're able to to kind of see at their next stops where they go. You've seen some guys leave that staff and leave Saban's nest and go out and, and build some good programs. You've also seen some guys go out there and struggle to do that and maybe have to come back or go back to being an assistant somewhere or, or back to, to working for Nick. How, how Where do you see Pruitt in this process, knowing what he walked into and kind of – because you've watched them the past three years. Um, and I know it's hard to say anything nice after that Kentucky debacle, but in general, where do you think this this thing is with Pruitt? In terms of player acquisition, recruiting, I think Jeremy's been exactly what most people thought he would be and will continue to be. I think it's only going to get better in terms of the roster itself. Um, The thing about about Saban and his turnover on his staff is that ultimately, you know, you still have that resume – that track record, that sample size with Nick that, well, as long as Nick Saban's still the head coach, things are going to get done in a way in which that team, that program is going to get better on a daily basis. That's what we're still waiting to see from Jeremy. I still am in that corner of thinking that he will get it to that point. Um, but, but it can be tough when you're a young head coach and you are turning over the coaching roster. Um, it's it's kind of just part of it, not just, Tennessee or Alabama I mean it's kind of everywhere these days but um, you know that's that's sort of where it sits I think for right now I think Jeremy has done in terms of the positives what you anticipated him doing Um, and again if if he can get to the point first and foremost that's what was so tough about last Saturday because as we talked about earlier you thought maybe Tennessee had gotten over that hump of moving past those type of performances after losses and big games specifically. But Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that as much as anything is, is where he's got to get that program first before you can really start talking about Georgia and Alabama, at least on an annual basis. Yeah. And and competing with those programs. Yeah. And I thought, I think the thought was that during that winning streak, they had sort of, 
reestablished right. themselves above that lowest tier. And, yep. and now it was, okay, let's start looking at the, the people in front, but then, you know, the people at the back still nip on your heels and get you. And, and I wonder if they, and I wrote this well, on it, Saturday. It wasn't, it, it wasn't like a 20 to 17 loss. I mean, you no. got thumped well, it wasn't. on your home field. Even though, you know, until the last, minute and a half or, or two and a half minutes of that game, Tennessee had more total yardage. Going into the fourth quarter, Tennessee had like 70 more yards of offense than Kentucky. But, but you come out in the third quarter, you know what you got to do. Yep. And Kentucky goes right down the field, right? Yep. It makes it 24 to 7. That Those are the type of situations where you're looking at the head coach or the coaching situation and going, okay, where are we at? We're down 17-7 at the half. We threw two pick sixes, okay? We fumbled. We set Kentucky up the entire half. All right. Let's come out and start this third quarter and make a statement. And instead, that happened. And that that's where I think the the wolves really start to come out. Yeah. You know, that, when when things like that happen coming out of the locker room. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and that's where, you know, with the exception of the Georgia State game last year, uh, I have generally been pretty impressed with with what Tennessee has done in terms of managing games, in terms of uh-huh. sort of putting their guys in the, the positions they can begin to have success i mean there have been times where garantano has just completely thrown he's just gummed up the works by himself almost at times uh not to be too rude to him but you look at the film of last year's first two games and you see man with better quarterback play those are comfortable wins well the, the alabama game last year was like his greatest hits yes in one game yes really wasn't it yeah i mean it was a summation of his tennessee career in, in four quarters, I, I thought. But he's sort of also like, um, if you remember the, the time where Bobby Valentine was managing the Mets, he got ejected from the game, and then <laughs> yeah. he comes back and he sits like he wears like the, the glasses and fake mustache, and he comes back. I do that at home sometimes, yeah. by the way. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah that and that's what hap- – Garantano does that. Like he comes – it's like when you think, well, he's de- there, there's no way he can come back from Sybil. this. They, yeah. end, they end up back with him, and, and you wonder – that's the concern is to me that's what they've got that must be that must be what tennessee has wes he must be it that That must be it yep that's that's what not it's not it doesn't concern me that garantano does what he does because you know if a five-year-old dog pees on the floor it you know he's just a dog who pees on the floor right i mean that's you can't do anything about that really at that point um but but he's what do you have behind him that that's that's the concern around harrison bailey it's got to be Harrison Bailey at this point because we are. I mean, it, it, they're telling they're telling us that it's not Maurer and it's not Shroud because they've been there, right? I mean, if yep. if, if if Grantano can do what he's done in the last, I guess six quarters with an emphasis on that, and it's not either of those guys. It's got to be Harrison Bailey next, yeah, I would think, because because Maurer's by far the most fun guy to watch, um, but yeah. but he also clearly has no idea what he's doing. So he will go out there and run around and just throw an absolute dime perfectly in stride to, to Marquez Callaway for, uh, you know, a 75-yard touchdown, and he will make throws that you go, my goodness. So kind of like, so like David, uh, David Lee Roth Van Halen? Kind of. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, basically. You just, when he goes on stage. A lot of fun, stage, but not really sure what he's doing out there. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's basically that's a, right. that's a really good way to put it because he just does not – he does not really understand the flow of the game at times. He doesn't understand the, the, the offense and the complexities of it, but you know that, and he had a hamstring injury in camp too. And I, I I think his, his athleticism would be something that that, that would help you against Alabama, but you know, you gotta, you gotta know what you're doing. And I just, they are where they are right now. Travis, last thing, if you were to make, you know, if I were to ask you, 
to make a team in your mind that would give Alabama the most problems, you know, and, and, and I'm not talking about like a team that's already out there, right? Like I, you can't just say Clemson, obviously, but I mean, just a, what kind of a team, if you were to draw up to go into battle against Alabama, what kind of team would you want? What qualities would it have to make you think you had a chance? Wow. Um, I know it's sort of the automatic inclination to think you better have a defense, right? That mm-hmm. can match up with that offense. But I think in similar terms to what we talked about earlier, even if that's the case, you got to be able to score. And so I would say as much as anything, a two-way offense, you know, a balanced offense that can you know, run it, throw it and challenge Alabama in some different ways and, and, possess the football, but at the same time, still get somewhere into the thirties, maybe even the low forties to have that opportunity, because I don't know if there's a defense out there that you can look at and say, well, they've got a chance to, to really slow down this, this Alabama offense. I think offensively, you better be built in a way sort of like Alabama did against Georgia when the game was still on the line in terms of the first three quarters of that game, Alabama was as explosive as it needed to be. But then when the fourth quarter came around, you know, Alabama ran the football 18 times against Georgia in that, in that fourth quarter and took 11 minutes off the clock. I think, I think that's the, the team that, that beats Alabama ultimately will have to be, if it happens on offense, I think they're going to have to be able to incorporate all that, you know, Ole Miss could hit the explosive plays, but you know, they just didn't have the defense to get on top. Um, and so that, that, that hurt them, but you know, the way Ole Miss is built offensively with tempo, um, you know, playmakers at running back at wide receiver and a tight end and Kenny Yaboa, they can hit some big plays. That's, that's probably more the team. So probably more along the lines of what Clemson is right now. Yeah. I, I if I could only have a couple things, I'd really like to have a game wrecker off the edge. Uh defensively. Mm-hmm. A guy who can, you know, uh even if you double team him and chip him the whole game, he can still make, you know, get back in the backfield a couple times and, you know, you know, do a get get you a sack strip, get you a, a tip ball that's intercepted. I'd want one of those guys, even though they're they're not easy to find. I'd want one of those, and I'd want a quarterback who could extend plays with his legs because if you can escape the pocket and get out there and, and make something happen, those are the guys that, that can keep your offense on the field and frustrate an opponent. If I could have two things, that'd be the two things I'd want. But, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, that's that that would be sensible for sure. Easier said than done. Right. And I think when you if you're Tennessee and you're going in, into a game against Bama, you have to think in terms of sensibility. So, I mean, that's <laughs> I mean, it, it, until they get the roster to a place where they'd be like, OK, yeah, let's 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 throw them up there and see how we do. I think you got to be sensible. You got to yeah, say, where, where can I, we I, mitigate I think, damage? I think there's still this perception of Alabama defensively that it's similar to, say, like Georgia, but. I thought Georgia matched up better against Tennessee's offense than Alabama will Saturday. Crazy as that sounds. I'll take Tennessee to rush for more than minus one yards this week, Wes. That's How about that? Is that going out on a limb? Bold. That no, is I, bold. I, I, I think I think I think Tennessee will run the ball fairly effectively Saturday. I, I that's just, my that's my big prediction. Yeah, I just wonder the minus yards that might come from some sacks, but yeah, that's, that's the college thing that's so dumb I hate with that the rule. sacks. I hate that. It's rule. awful. Travis, it's awful. Let, before we get out of here, tell everybody how they can uh, get a hold of uh, you, your, your site, the work, all that stuff. Just go ahead and plug some pluggables because you've, you've given us some time here, man. You deserve the Florida to tell people where they can find this good stuff. 
I appreciate the time, Wes. Uh, of course, we're at Bama Online, part of the illustrious, prestigious 247sports.com network. Yes. And I've uh, been covering Alabama since 2003 with BOL. And we certainly invite all the ball fans over there, have some friendly banter during this week. And uh, that's pretty much where you'll find me posted up, Wes. I also do a radio show weekdays, by the way, in Tuscaloosa at Tide 109 dot com called Southern Fried Sports. So you can catch me there. I got to get you on there this week, by the way. So anytime this is my formal formal request right here. Anytime, man. I'm usually just sitting here in the studio, uh, I'll sitting, sitting behind publicist. these screens. Yeah. Occasionally taking Gus out for a walk, and then uh, that's that's pretty much. Gus is pretty- awesome. Do you name him after Malzon? Uh, I thought about it. Well, he likes to chew gum all the time, <laughs> a lot, and and so well, no, his actually the, the full name is Sir Angus McCorgahan. Uh, oh wow! My wife brought a, uh, a sword back over from her most recent trip to Europe, and so we knighted uh-huh. him when he was a puppy. And so, yeah, I mean, he's he doesn't like to talk about, you know, he doesn't like to think he's better than everyone. He likes how's she? How's she going over to Europe? I didn't think they were letting us in. Th- this was pre. This was pre uh, quarantine. Pre the co- yeah. Pre the COVID. Yeah. Okay. And she's also, right. I, you know, you play that game where you spin the globe around, and you point at a place. Uh, she, nice. you pretty much go like, yeah, she's, she, uh, she's like, I've been there. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. She's, uh, she, she's been fortunate, I guess you could say, but, but that's how, uh, that's why, that's why Gus got his very, Gus, formal, very formal awesome. name. So yeah, I appreciate it, man. Travis, uh, thank you for being here and, um, we'll, I guess, see you down the road and I'll probably see you on, on your radio show here in here in just a couple of days, but, uh, thanks for the time, man. <laughs> hey, thanks Wes. Appreciate it, man. And that's that. I suppose they would say thanks to our good friend, Travis Ryer from Bama Online for uh, joining us for this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, talking Tennessee, Alabama. As Travis mentioned, you can find all of his stuff there at BamaOnline.com. You can also listen to his radio show in Tuscaloosa every afternoon. And uh, we like Travis. I guess I'll leave it at that. He's a good dude and happy that uh, he was able to join us. Guys, thanks for tuning in. As always, you can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan is on Twitter at Ryan Callahan 24-7. You can also find all of us on Twitter if you just want Tennessee news, nothing personal, nothing else. You can get that at twitter.com slash govals247, or you can go to facebook.com slash govals247 and get all kinds of news throughout the day that's a very active feed we have there on facebook and on twitter also uh, for different ways for you can interact with us and, and get some information and do some other fun things but the best way if you want to get that delicious east tennessee mountain spring water just right from the tap get the get that at govals247.com the best site on all of al gore's internets to get coverage on tennessee football football recruiting basketball basketball recruiting baseball lady vol sports Anything that you want, Tennessee-related. Maria Cornelius does an awesome job covering Lady Balls for us. So we have tons of Lady Balls coverage on there as well. Got a couple different boards on there. Got the checkerboard to discuss men's sports and other things. And then we have the Summit, the appropriately named Summit, uh, to talk women's sports and other off-topic things on that board as well. So we got a little bit of something for everybody there. And right now you can get two months of that for $1. Two months for $1, Bob. Can't beat that deal can't beat that deal give us a shot most people who give us a shot stick around uh, and i think we have a pretty good product and that's the reason for that so go check us out there please please do that and if you pay us full price which is less than one mediocre lunch per month i say that all the time but seriously think about it less than one mediocre lunch per month will get you 
all the access you want for a month to Go Boss 24-7. And if you pay us full price, become a member, you get access to CBS All Access, which is CBS's streaming platform, uh, which has all kinds of stuff on there. That's a $100 annual value that we give you for free. That's every show in the CBS catalog, every show ever made, commercial free. New movies in and out every month. Live sports. You get SEC football, Tennessee football. You get NFL football. Uh, you get college basketball, NCAA tournament, March Madness. You get UEFA Champions League, which kicked back up again this week. UEFA Europa League, which gets started again tomorrow. I guess I should say Thursday. Uh, and you get World Series of Poker stuff. All kinds of other fun, fun sports stuff. And stuff from Comedy Central. Stuff from BET, MTV, uh, Smithsonian Channel. And for the kids, uh, some Nickelodeon. So, all the, the Viacom properties right there. Good place, or a lot of the Viacom properties. So go check that out. Go to GoVols247.com. Give us a really, really reasonable reasonable amount of money, and we'll give you $100 plus annual value for free. So go do that. Guys, if nothing else, uh, you should hear from us tomorrow. I believe we're going to have a Thursday episode talking with, uh, talking with another Bama online fella, our good friend Tim Watts. So uh, we'll continue talking third Saturday in October, and you'll hear from us tomorrow. So until then, uh, be safe, guys. Wear your masks, social distance, all that fun stuff. We'll see you soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.